Hey, welcome to the Obio podcast. My name is Sofia, a bio developer in the making, and today I have the great pleasure to interview Kai Clinton, one of the co-founders and the CEO of Maltus Media, which is a UK-based biotech startup that is developing more affordable and scalable growth medium for lab-grown meat companies. You may have heard about the hurdles of scaling up lab-grown meat, reaching the market, using F. BS and so on. Well, Maltus Media is addressing those challenges by using yeast to produce the growth medium in a recombinant way, so it is totally animal-free. And they're also using, inter- interestingly, machine learning approaches to better design their formulations. In this episode, I'm really excited to ask Kai questions about his early journey as a biotech undergrad. At Imperial College of London, as well as some um, his thoughts on bio entrepreneurship mindsets, his journey building Maltas, what they do, some of the challenges they've had, and of course advice for aspiring biotech entrepreneurs like myself and probably yourself too. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. That you gained some insights or lessons out of it. If so, please let me know. Tweet me at Sophia's Bio.、Um, and without further ado, let's get started. All right, so hi Kai, thank you so much for taking this call. Welcome to the Obio Podcast. It's great to be here. Good to good to be speaking again. <laughs> for sure. All right, so I guess that I would first really like to know you as a founder and a person. And I know that you've had a really amazing career so far, both in university and with Maltus. So I'm curious to know what were your dreams as a child. Yeah, actually, so so when I grew up, I was was very into my sports. I used to play football or, or soccer, perhaps for for those not in the UK.、Um, so wanted to be a, a football player, basically.、Uh, spent a lot of my time training and you know, playing for two different teams:、uh, one with games on Saturday, another with games on Sunday.、Um, and that really was my my dream growing up.、Um, very active kid, grew up in、uh, North Wales, which there's a lot of. You know, countryside and, and outdoors to to play around in, so so that was my kind of big motivation, right from when I was very young into my teenage years,、um, and then that that shifted slightly towards running.、Um, so I kind of had some success、um, in mountain running using the resources available to me in, in North Wales, where there's lots of nice mountains around.、Um, kind of ran for the the national team for a couple of years. Um, and then kind of shifted my attention really towards academics, I guess. So I was I was always you know, a good student, tried very hard.、Um, but it was around when I was、um, when would I have been sixteen, seventeen or so, when I really started to apply myself、um, in my academics and focusing on, well, I guess first getting into university, but thinking about what I really want to do long term in my career.、Um, Given how obvious it was that I, I wasn't going to make it as a footballer and not as a runner, <laughs> why well. not? Well, I was, I was very injury prone. I used to get injured all the time and couldn't string together、mm. more than six weeks, maybe. But、um, yeah, so I, I kind of started focusing on on my academics, and that I was 
always knew that biology or, or applied biology is what I wanted to be working in. Um, for me, it was the most fascinating field that I was I was studying. Um, also, could see how now we're, we're reaching this point where we have the tools available to manipulate and control biology in a way that makes it very useful and powerful. Uh, and so wanted to learn more about um, about those tools um, and to be part of the growing bioeconomy. So, so that's when I applied to university, um, did a, a master's at Imperial College London in bioengineering. Um, and it was during that course where I started Meltus initially just out of uh, an interested in interest in working in synthetic biology or applied biology um, to create solutions um, or just to work on a project outside of my, my studies, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And then that project evolved into Maltus today. It, it makes me think of Shoe Dog, the book by the founder oh, yeah. of Nike, right? You also liked running at some point and now you're running a company. <laughs> so uh, amazing story on that side. Um, moving on, one of your experiences, I guess, maybe during undergrad, was at this law firm, is that right? Mm. Uh, and you looked into IP? Yes, quite briefly. So this is whilst Maltus was, was still a project, um, I was interested in in IP. I wanted to learn more about uh, how it's really kind of protected and exploited and litigated um, at the, the law level. So I did, yeah, a couple of days um, shadowing at a couple of different law firms, big corporate law firms here in London, um, just to understand how how they worked, basically. I was quite lucky I got to experience, uh, you know, a team of lawyers preparing to take a case into uh, a court, a litigious case. Um, so that was quite useful for me just to understand uh, what things are really scrutinized when these patents are actually put to the test. Um, <laughs> and one of the things was, um, most patents aren't valid and so even before they'd really got into the detail they were saying that, you know their, their position is that all these patents aren't valid mm-hmm. um and then let's start building on the evidence to, to back that up but out of kind of pure probabilistic um position most patents probably have something either in um prior art or in the way that the, the data is um put with with the patent or how kind of slightly different uh the technology that the owner is trying to um sue against um most most patents don't really hold up so um that that was quite useful for me just in thinking about how we think about intellectual property protection and exploitation at Maltus, um and thankfully gave me some some good relationships that i can still draw on today is there anything you think you would have done differently if you hadn't had that experience in terms of uh, the ip for Maltus? I think that that experience just allowed me to have a, a much more fruitful conversation when we're speaking mm-hmm. to our patent attorneys. Um, you know, it's not just them speaking to us and giving advice. I can actually ask questions and um, kind of probe a little bit about why one strategy might be better than another um, and engage in that conversation. So differently, it's, it's hard to tell, but I guess I'm now more active in the patent process because I kind of can understand a little bit more uh, about how how useful they really are. And apart from that, you also had several other research experiences, right, in your, as part of your college degree, but also in research labs. I'm curious to know, how do you think those helped you 
or which lessons you gained there that you are now applying uh, throughout the process of building Maltus? Yeah, so I think one of them is, is biology is very messy and unpredictable. <laughs> um, I remember in, in one of my courses, we essentially had a what was a five-week project um, and maybe six months to, to do it. And we ended up repeating that project maybe three or four times because something doesn't work, so you have to go back. Um, and, you know, one little mistake can maybe cost you three weeks of work at certain time points. And that's that's quite frustrating. Um, so in Maltas, we really wanted to use technology to our advantage, um, you know, put money where we think it can have or give us the, the biggest benefit in terms of output and throughput. So we've invested quite a lot in, in automation on building processes where the data we get is very re reliable and reproducible, very rich. Um, and that can guide, you know, different computational models that we use. Um, so that that experience, I guess, you know, just firsthand uh, being frustrated with the uh, with biology, and, uh, <laughs> the the manual nature of of experiments, um, thought maybe think differently, and maybe being an, an engineer um, helped that as well. But I wanted to build processes um, that were far more scalable than is generally used in academia. All right, and I also remember reading in Motos' website that you're using a proprietary ML program, right, as part of the process of creating the the growth medium, so or the formulation, right? So I know that there are things you cannot disclose because of IP and so on, uh, but maybe could you explain a little bit of how that part works, the informatics component of Maltus? Yeah, sure. So so this, or the, the big challenge, I guess, is that you have a whole set of new ingredients um, that you're working with, you know, those ingredients that are maybe more scalable, more affordable, perhaps food safe over the over ingredients we might have traditionally put into growth media. Uh, each of those ingredients can be you know, on a continuous scale of concentration. So you effectively have an infinite solution space, or if you try and reduce that, even if you're saying, you know, 20 ingredients at five concentration levels, that's a solution space that's, that's far bigger than you could ever really manually try and um, <laughs> approach, uh, particularly when biology is, is slow. I mean, to run an experiment might take three days um, on a good case, maybe three weeks if you want to do something more, more detailed. Um, and so coupling that with the fact that biology traditionally is, is a again a very manual process which doesn't usually produce data that can uh, really be used in in these large larger computational models you know there's a lot of noise when you do things manually um, and the environment or the reproducibility of those results is, is too difficult um, to really build a good uh, consensus in any results and so what we do at, at Maltas is basically we use automation and computational models to guide our experiments and build cumulative knowledge essentially from scratch. And so we can start to build an understanding of how cells behave according to different input ingredients um, and map a lot of prior knowledge then between you know, cell types and species um, and build this very powerful uh, and rich data set of how cells respond to ingredients that is um, very scalable and valuable to us. And, and that's particularly valuable when those ingredients aren't so pure anymore. You know, there's a lot of 
all can cultivate meat about using food grade ingredients, um, mm-hmm. whether perhaps impurities that have effects on the other inputs. Um, so you, you're at a point now where you don't have one input that has a direct effect on a single output dimension. You're talking about many dependent interactions and you can't be very rational then about how you might decide to include or exclude or increase or decrease the concentration of any one ingredient um, because of all these uh, complex interactions. And so with the computational modeling we do, it allows us to uh, use different optimization strategies um, and run experiments according to those strategies, which are directed towards larger or more complex objectives than maybe have been grappled with before and um, run yeah, run experiments in a way that actually outputs that, that data that's useful and, and rich for those models. Okay, it makes me think of the design, build, learn, test, write cycle, and you're now in that design phase. Well, you're optimizing that design phase, right, with machine learning. Ex- yeah, exactly. It, it's very, very iterative. Um, so it'll be, you know, we use the model to design or suggest a set of new formulations to test. Um, we then test them on cells and collect that data. We then rebuild our models and kind of iterate through that process where we're updating assumptions and updating our predictions and um, yeah, selecting new formulations to test at each iteration. And sometimes there are new ingredients that come in uh, or we've developed in-house as well, so that can add capabilities there too. I would like to ask you, so I've noticed that, well, Maltos is like one of these companies that unlocks the possibilities for other companies, right? For um, lab-grown meat uh, companies in this case. And I I would like to know which are some of the innovations or foundational technologies that you think help Maltos in this case. So if it's what would help you basically do a better job if it's, uh, you know, decreasing the cost of DNA synthesis, maybe, or better computational technologies? Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, so we use a lot of automation. So capabilities in um, automation is, is very valuable and there are improvements being made all the time in terms of pipetting and dispensing and, and measuring um, outputs of cell growth. Um, I think, yeah, it advances in you know, RNA sequencing or, or DNA sequencing and um, synthesis is very valuable for us. We screen a lot of different um, strain variants in our growth factor production. So um, that will that will help us increase our throughput. Um, and then there's, you know, the advances in, in the kind of modeling that we can do um, that are going to make our systems more efficient, um, increase the ability of our processes to optimize new and high performing growth media for uh, new and exciting um, cell types and species and objectives. Um, and so, you know, you could think of a future where we're really controlling cell behavior on a time timed basis where you know each day maybe you're changing growth media to a different formulation to really direct cell behavior um, and that requires quite powerful and, and large computational modeling um, and so models that can do that with very little starting data um, is, is in our favor and we're, we're doing lots of work on that at the moment. 
Are there any technical roadblocks that you have encountered throughout the process of building Maltus? I'd say not specifically, none that we haven't uh, so far pushed through um, or don't see a, a pathway to pushing through. Um, I guess for, for us now, we're, we're doing lots of things at, at small scale. Um, we need to still verify how that really translates to larger and larger scale. So again, having more throughput or scale down systems that are representative enough to really understand how a production facility might operate with the formulations that we're designing, um, that that will help certainly. So the, the better scale down models we can have, the more throughput and iterations and experiments we can run. Uh, and that's just in, in our favor. Um, but so far we need to have a process where we go from you know, small scale, 2D culture, and then mm -hmm. increase scale, increase duration, go into 3D culture and bioreactors. Um, and there are, you know, we need to translate that understanding between those different systems. The challenge of scaling up seems to be a trend, right, in all biotech startups. <laughs> also, when we started the call, you, you mentioned something really interesting. You're right now uh, at the Maltos Media headquarters, right? Uh, behind you, just for people, since this is a podcast, like I'm trying to describe <laughs> the scene, right? Uh, you, you have uh, lots of boxes with lab supplies and reagents behind you. So, and uh, a problem that, well, many industries are facing right now is supply chain, right? Uh, that have been disrupted mainly since, since the pandemic, right? So I'm curious to know, how has this affected Maltus and um, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's been quite a challenge. Um, plastic, where in particular has been very difficult to get your hands on or even just a, a reasonable estimate of when things might be delivered. Um, so we've definitely had experiments or projects that have been delayed simply because, you know, we ordered something four months ago and it still hasn't arrived. No. Um, and so we've had to basically when we can really order in, in large bulk um, and have the storage room that I'm in right now to uh, to store that, that stock. Um, but it's great. Now we're, we're pretty much set up in terms of our common lab um, labware and, and reagents. And mm -hmm. so we're, we're in a good place, but it did take us a little while to get and build up the stock so that we could quite reasonably keep all of our projects ongoing. I agree. So it's not a problem anymore. Mainly it was uh, in like plastic wear supplies. Yes, exactly. So uh, with pet tips uh, and different plates, etc. Have been quite quite difficult, but um, yeah, I'm surrounded now by <laughs> so I'm all, all good. <laughs> nice. Uh, also, as as a CEO, I think uh, you need to have the the vision right for for the company and the strategy as well. And something I was reading was the differences between tech and biotech startups. And one of them that I found interesting was that in tech uh, and Generally, sometimes people give the advice of focusing on a single product when you're when you're building a company, right? As opposed to having a large portfolio. But uh, for biotech companies, I was reading, uh, it's probably sometimes better to de-risk by um, having sort of a platform approach, right? Using like a single technology and then expanding on its capabilities, which. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to be uh, what Maltos is aiming at uh, with like using the growth medium for different types of cells. Uh, so yeah, what do you think about that? I'd say I agree actually. Um, no, we, we definitely have 
capabilities in, in many areas and we're drawing out different bot business models to, to make best use of those. Obviously, as a team or as a company, we're focused on making cultivated meat as available and affordable to as many people as possible. And that means supporting different kinds of cultivated meat company at different stages of development. And so, you know, in our work on ingredient design and selection or formulation optimization, there are different ways we can work with companies and that's could be through selling raw materials and ingredients that we've produced, offering these services for customization or selling something off the shelf like we have with from M. All of these can be valuable in different ways to, to different companies. And so I definitely say we have a, a core set of capabilities that um, have multiple outputs possible or ways of, of uh, drawing out the value for, for different companies. And now as you know, diving into you as a founder, biotech startup founder, first question, <laughs> would you say uh, PhD is necessary? I would say no, I don't have a PhD. Um, our founding team, as we met at Imperial College, um, none of us have PhDs. Um, and we've gone on just, just fine. I mean, there's, there's so much to figure out in, uh, in our field in cultivated meat, but biotech more generally, um, that for us, it, it was better to, to, I mean, we were really motivated by a sense of urgency. Um, and PhDs are often so specific, um, that yes, you can get a lot of experience in the lab or your PhD is specifically on is, is often not going to be that broadly applicable. And so we could, yes, wait another four years to get our PhD and then maybe five as a postdoc and then maybe then we'd be ready to you know, start a company. Um, but because we're working in such a, a new industry that's evolving so quickly and requires you know, so much out of the box thinking in terms of how we make this technologically and commercially viable, um, we didn't think that was really going to give us much value. Of course, we hire people with PhDs in those specific areas for uh, different parts of the company. Um, but to start and run a company, um, we said, well, I, I don't have a PhD and, and we don't think that's really holding us back. When we last met, you gave me one piece of advice, which was don't be scared to ask people for advice, right? And so who would you say you consider a mentor of yours and what's been the most valuable piece of advice they've given you? It's a good question. Yeah, that is. Uh, so I, I mean, I, I work a lot with the advisors we have at, at Maltus. I speak very regularly with, with them and they're you know, giving advice in, in many different areas of the business. Um, trying to think of, of one specific piece of advice I've had that drives me today. I'm not sure. I might have to follow <laughs> up with you. Maybe sure. I can send you a message. But um, yeah, no, nothing specifically comes to mind. Um, I think it's all you know, accumulated in my mind about how I, how I do things. Um, I can't remember a specific one piece of advice that has really stuck with me. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Let's definitely follow up with that question, though. What do you think are some of the most important skills of a biotech founder? I think it goes without saying you have to be very determined um, and resilient. Um, building startups is, is incredibly difficult. Building startups in biology where things take a long time and there's a lot of uncertainty um, is also very, very hard. Um, and so I think I would say, yeah, be prepared to um, 
get things wrong and be very open to learning from those uh, mistakes or failures that happen. Um, iterate, move quickly if you can, um, but biotech, uh, often you need to do a bit more planning um, and have you know, a bit more risk mitigation and really uh, plan for all, all possibilities of what could happen. Um, and then again, surround yourself with people that you can you can draw on for different areas of building the science, building the commercial side of your business and, and growing growing the team as well. So um, I think specifically just just prepare be prepared for quite <laughs> a difficult and long journey. Um, but I'd say it's definitely worth it. Has it been a fulfilling journey so far though? It has, absolutely. I mean, we've been working on this for, for just over three years and um, it's incredible. I, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Um, yes, it, it's hard work, but you know, I get to work with amazing people every single day um, and it's just incredibly exciting to be working in an industry that has the potential, the opportunity to be so impactful. Before I forget, uh, I was also reading about, you know, the different ecosystems between, well, biotech ecosystems, right? The Bay Area one, the Boston one, but you're now located in the UK, is that right? Well, and you went through the Indie Bio program in New York. What do you think are some of the, mo- the advantages of each ecosystem and why did you choose the UK? Uh, apart from the fact that you uh, are originally from there. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, yeah, so we're, we're based um, in White City, which is where Imperial College is building out their new campus. They have this commercial building here. So we're surrounded by startups um, in biotech and they're building really quite a, a hub here in, in White City. Uh, we're amongst also academic institutions, um, you know, the Department of Bioengineering, the Department of, of Chemistry, where we can, yes, access talent, but also access some infrastructure that is perhaps expensive um, for us to get our hands on early in our development. And so we can go in and you know, use very state-of-the-art uh, imaging systems without us having to, to buy them ourselves. Um, when we went through IndieBio, that was in lockdown. So actually, we, we were still based here in London. Um, we obviously learned a bit about the ecosystem. I know the East Coast is generally more medical biotech focused. Uh, New York and, and Boston is very strong at that. Uh, West Coast is now kind of probably a leader in kind of non-medical biotech um, and has the universities as well to, to feed into those companies. Um, Silicon Valley is, is quite entrepreneurial. They value different things. You know, they have more investors over that area that will invest larger amounts of money into into ideas. Um, but then it's, it's a bit more expensive. So in the UK, we're incredibly strong in academic research and bio-based research, uh, but gen- generally quite poor at translating that into companies and, and businesses. Um, and so what we found is actually access to talent is, is great here in the UK. Um, there's now the, the infrastructure that's being set up um, with the pandemic. That investment landscape was, was opened up a fair bit. I mean, it's now easier to have those conversations with US-based investors, European investors, Asian investors. Um, and so for us, we're, we're very happy here in London. Um, talent is cheaper than it is in, in Silicon Valley. It's a generally, well, London's a great city to be in. 
and attracts a lot of the, the talent in the UK and Europe. And so I think in terms of our kind of R&D headquarters, we'll be based here in London for, for quite some time. Very, very interesting how you how the pandemic also opened up like opportunities to get uh, investors from other places, right, while still having that talent pipeline, I guess, in the UK. Amazing. Um, well, last but not least, if you were to tweet something that the whole world read, what would that be? How many? Okay, well, 180 characters. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't um, have to be that sentence. short. <laughs> I would, I guess, like to draw people's attention to the fact that you can work on incredibly interesting and difficult challenges make money and have a fulfilling career in areas that really matter um, and improve people's life, the planet's life. And so for people that are thinking about the, the impact in their career or even their legacy or just want to be working in the right direction, um, get involved in startups, companies that are very much aligned on making a difference now um, because there's a real sense of urgency in climate change and a lot of these challenges that we're facing as a society many things need to be reimagined and changed completely um, and that means taking bold action uh, soon and so we need we need people that are enthusiastic and clever and mission aligned to that to be working in those industries um, and so yeah what's 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 stopping you from, from joining this, uh, this movement? I would encourage everybody, if they're excited or even concerned about the planet, um, to get involved in, in applying those skills that they have in, in companies. I think that wraps up the 180 characters. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, thank you so much, Kai, uh, really, for all the knowledge shared in this podcast. And, well, best stuff, luck with Maltus. Thank you very much. This also marks the end of this episode. I really enjoyed learning from Kai and I am, of course, looking forward to knowing that follow-up answer on the advice question. <laughs> but for now, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I would really appreciate it if you could share it on any social media platform, preferably LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, which is where I'm mostly active on. That would help me continue sharing these biotech stories with more and more people to grow the audience. And talking about growing, remember, it's time to grow. It's time to grow the bioeconomy and a healthier and more sustainable future. <laughs>